Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to the Ghibliotech, the podcast that comes out of retirement to talk about the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leader, and I've seen a lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and I'm never ending my journey to learn more about them. So join us on our quest into the glorious world of Ghibli. Jake, welcome back to the Ghibliotech. It's very lovely to be here. Um, when I say here, I do mean in this makeshift corner of the room that I've bundled lots of different jumpers and blankets around to set up our glamorous remote recording studio. But we don't need any glamour this week, do we? Because we're, we're talking about documentaries, observational documentaries that get under the skin of Studio Ghibli. Last episode, we talked about the Kingdom of Dreams and Madness, and uh, finishing off this double bill is Never Ending Man. Now, we talked about this in the previous episode, but I suppose we should set up the context again. There have been many documentaries about Studio Ghibli, about Hayao Miyazaki. We chose these two for quite specific or arbitrary reasons. The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness, as you'd hear on that episode, we see that as a really meaty theatrical documentary that stands up on its own right. Neverending Man has had this long life as a Ghibli documentary, and it's recently just come out on home entertainment in the UK, Blu-ray uh, and DVD. So we're treating these two as the primary Ghibli documentaries. Maybe we'll cover some more down the line, but I thought this would be a good, good way to start. Yes, these are the Ghibli documentaries for our documentary double bill. Uh, we obviously know about the 10 Years with Miyazaki NHK documentary that's floating around. And who knows when we've got another big gap in our release schedule, we may well do that one as well. But for now, should we talk about this never ending man? Let's talk about this lovely, lovely, wonderful, not at all grumpy, never ending man. So as always, we start off with a bit of a synopsis. This is from the blurb on the G-Kids website, who released it in the States. In 2013, Hayao Miyazaki suddenly announced his retirement at the age of 72, but he couldn't shake his burning desire to create. After an encounter with a young CGI animators, Miyazaki embarked on a new endeavor, his first project ever to utilize CGI. But the artist, who had been adamant about hand-drawn animation, confronted many challenges, can an old master who thinks he's past his prime shine once again? This program goes behind the scenes over two years as Miyazaki overcomes struggles to create his short film using CGI. 
Okay, so Michael, as with last week's film, The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness, we're in the odd situation that we're not used to of having to contextualise a film that comes from outside of the studio rather than within it. And we aren't able to really delve into where these people might be in their career that we're used to doing. But could you tell me a little bit more about Neverending Man before we get into it? So in the episode on The Kingdom of Dreams of Madness, I quoted from my interview with director Mami Sunada, who said that her goal for that film would be to create a theatrical documentary about Studio Ghibli, saying that there have been many television documentaries made about Ghibli over the years. This Neverending Man was a TV documentary. It's directed by a guy called Kaku Arakawa, who is a TV documentarian who's been shadowing Miyazaki for many years. In fact, you mentioned up top, Jake, this NHK.TV documentary called 10 Years with Hayao Miyazaki. He's the guy who directed that. And this slice of the footage he's been shooting covers this strange period for Hayao Miyazaki between announcing his retirement, as he does at the end of The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness. This is following his feature film, The Wind Rises, and then starting up production on the feature film he's working on currently as we speak and looks to be working on for another three years. Um, within that period, there is this change within Miyazaki, and we'll talk about that coming up, Jake. But as you can probably hear from the synopsis I read out, this was a TV program. It aired on NHK in 2016, and it actually was broadcast in the UK the following year on the NHK World channel that some people have high in the numbers on their Sky Digital box. Kakurakawa gave, gave some interviews around then. I just want to quote from these interviews just to show what was going through his head when this uh, program was put together. He said, some people who know Miyazaki very well say that he is even more interesting than his films. People think Miyazaki is a little bit scary or difficult, but actually he's very friendly. He tells many interesting stories, and I often think any one of them could become his next film. And because I've been filming Miyazaki for around a decade, we've become close, and it's impossible to be objective about him. What I like most about him is when he smiles to cover up his shyness. So there's clearly a bit of a, a character portrait here that Arakara wants to capture in this in this program. Absolutely. And I mean, there's certain similarities to when people ask me what it's like to make this podcast with you, Michael. Uh, people think Michael is a little oh. bit scary or difficult, but he is actually very friendly. Um, but I, I, I can't say as much about telling interesting stories. Um, maybe you could <laughs> remedy that here, though. Uh, so going into this, we know that it's all about Miyazaki toying with CGI. Um, could you just remind me what Ghibli has already done with CGI at this point or how they may have played with it? So Miyazaki did toy with a lot of CGI in the 90s and early 2000s. Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away and Howl's Moving Castle in particular used a lot of sort of CG assisting in terms of certain modeling, backgrounds, camera movements and so on. But I, we talked about this in our Ponyo episode. Miyazaki goes completely anti-CG around that time and Ponyo and The Wind Rises are almost entirely hand-drawn, painstakingly hand-drawn. And that is quite out of step with the other directors at Ghibli. As we know, Isao Takahata from My Neighbours, The Yamadas and The Tale of Princess Kaguya was very in on the, the, the potential of CGI-assisted animation. And then also his son, Miyazaki's son, Goro, um, made 
a TV series, Ronya, the Robber's Daughter, which was entirely CG and apparently is now working on a feature that's going to be made in a similar method too. So the idea of Miyazaki going all in on CG this late into the game is, you know, it's it's pivotal. It's, it's huge. Okay. Before we go into the discussion though, Michael, um, just to help kind of contextualize the, the viewing for our listeners, uh, in Japan, this would have been viewed on TV uh, and here in the UK, as you mentioned, it was viewable in TV, but now it's released on home entertainment. But I understand not everywhere this was a this was presented as a piece of regular television. No, so it was turned into this 70 odd minute feature for US release. G Kids, who handled the entire Ghibli library over there, had a sort of small showcase release of this in limited cinemas across the States. I think it was 2018, 2019, and then released it on home entertainment. And it took a bit longer to come out over here. And what I think is really key about this release is that it was finally released in the UK on Blu-ray, not by Studio Canal, who usually released Ghibli films. They released all the other films we talked about pretty much. It was released by All the Anime, or Anime Limited, depending on which company title you go for, who are... I absolutely the, the, the premier anime label in the UK. And this is their first dipping of the toe into something Ghibli related and also into documentaries. So I think that's quite notable in its own right. But Jake, the big question is, is Neverending Man notable in its own right? Should we find out? Let's do it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So, Jake, you mentioned in the previous segment that this has much more of a TV doc style to it. Would you mind telling us a bit more about that before we start? Yeah, of course. Um, so this is short. It's just over an hour. So it, it does 
feel more like a slot that would go into your TV schedule. Um, formally, I, I don't think it's as accomplished as The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness. And it comes with chapter markers that almost feel like they would come after an advert break to remind you where you were. And ultimately, it feels like a cheaper product. I know that I, I wang on about fonts and stuff like that a lot <laughs> on, on this show, but I really think they make a difference. And I think it's really important to make your viewers feel like they are within the world that you're showing them. And Kingdom of Dreams and Madness is so good at making you feel within a world. You talked about that influence of working with Hirokazu Koreeda and his knowledge of how to create intimacy and reality within non-fiction and fiction. And that's what that film does so well, that by the end of it, you feel like you have worked a year at Studio Ghibli. And this film keeps us at a distance and it just makes these quite abrasive stylistic choices throughout. Some of those being these chapter marker title cards that are bright white with bold, brash, coloured fonts in the middle of it that just feel totally at odds with the studio itself. There are these odd, loud, kind of library-sounding, rocky music cues that just absolutely don't fit compared to those kind of wonderful piano sounds from the other film and also it's got this the use of clips okay i'm going to keep referring back to kingdom of dreams and madness but i said about that film that it uses clips with restraint because it wants to invite you into the world first rather than rely on your knowledge of Studio Ghibli films or your referencing of them uh, to get you committed to the story. Whereas this just kind of chops and changes between archive and clips and new footage and titles. And it, it kind of feels like a, a bit of a gumbo that, that for me didn't taste that nice. Okay, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> I can't argue with you on the formal aspect here. This is definitely a different beast to what Mami Sonata did. And I think that we both agreed that that film, The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness, stands in its own right as a great documentary as well as a great documentary about Studio Ghibli. And while I won't argue with you on a formal level here, I, I think there's so much that you can still take from this film, specifically this film, but also in relation to The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness. Yeah, and... Well, I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm totally off on it. I, I think the content in the film is really interesting. I just don't think that content is presented in a very good way. Um, but after we watched this film, which we did in our separate homes, <laughs> um, you texted me to say that you have got a galaxy brain theory about it. And I wanted to save knowing what that theory is until this moment. So blow my mind, Michael, convert me. Well, maybe not a galaxy brain theory. Uh, I'm not, this isn't going to slot perfectly into the meme format, but watching this film, there's just something that takes on an almost abstract power. We have a great genius who is trying to retire 
but can't. He says that doing nothing is boring, but he's worried that his talents are blunted, so tries to adopt a new form uh, of expression. However, in, in doing that, he realizes he can only work in one way, and he's trying to bend this new form to match his own genius, and there's a frisson there. But the, the, the galaxy brain moment for me is that we will never, likely never see the film that he's talking about making because this is Borrow the Caterpillar, which is a Studio Ghibli museum short, which we're not going to easily watch here unless we go to Tokyo at the right time that it's screening. We just missed out on it, I think, when we were in Tokyo. I think it was the previous um, short in the presentation and they, they swapped it out but, for but, um, Mr. Doe and the Egg Princess. But. Mr. Doe and the Egg Princess, which we did have a lovely cameo of Mr. Doe in Miyazaki's Atelier in this film. And it was lovely to see our lovely doughy friend. See, you're already sounding more positive. But what I mean by this galaxy brain moment is that the Kingdom of Dreams and Madness was a portrait of the studio operating at peak, peak efficiency, where you see a lot of Miyazaki and Little Little Takahata making their final masterpieces. And there's this great drive towards these films. And you could say that at times it is promotional. This film is almost freed of that. It's that what comes after your final masterpiece is really what this documentary is about. And trying to try new things and then coming to a realization that you can only really work in one way, which is the realization he comes to at the end of this, where he realizes, no, hand-drawn is the only way forward. And I don't care if I die making my final film. There's, there's, there's something within that that is so, I don't know, amazing to me to see play out in this documentary form. It's a much more melancholic film than I expected. The, the the things that we've seen excerpted from this film are, oh, grumpy Miyazaki. But I didn't expect this to be so leaden with the weight of mortality, more so than The Kingdom of Dreams of Madness, because we do have luminaries of Ghibli dying whilst we watch this film while over the the couple of years that we shadow Miyazaki in this film. And he's saying, you know, I'm outliving... Uh, people I should have died before. That there's there's some real power to that for me. So even though I do agree that formally it could be put together better, there's something undeniably compelling and engaging about the postscript. So much of uh, Kingdom Dreams of Madness. Kingdom Dreams of Madness ends with the retirement announcement and has him looking out over the 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 the, the rooftop saying, "Oh, here's a nice cap of my entire career." But no, he's now lived on for almost a decade since then, just hanging about in his atelier with his apron on, thinking what to do next. And that's what this documentary is. I think we should go into more specific detail, but that's at least what I was responding to when I said I had this galaxy brain moment. Yeah, and there is something really interesting watching it as we have as a double bill, one following the other. And the Kingdom of Dreams and Madness ends on this great high the office is full and they've completed what could be called a masterpiece and then this film starts and suddenly those desks are empty and you get these kind of like quite sad images that almost feel like an old bloke pottering around the shop because he doesn't quite know what to do and he retired too early and that's exactly what it is and he says like that 
his physical and mental drive is failing. But that's when he sat at his desk working on his day off because he's so addicted to work. <laughs> and and in that respect, it, it is really interesting and it is really funny as well. And that was something we learned from the previous film, or at least I learned, is that the these grumpy, meme Miyazaki quotes are really out of context and that he is actually really funny and very self-aware. And you mentioned it is quite morbid and yes, you kind of have this spectre of death that hangs over it, whether that is actual mortality or kind of a creative mortality. But even when it does get quite dark, their conversations, they are, they are always quite, they're always laughing. There is a hint of a smile in each of those, I think, anyway. I, th- I think so. But there are still a couple of lines where, and this is probably where I would contrast it with King of Dreams and Madness, where there is certainly a lot of that grumpy Miyazaki, but he always had a bit of a smile. He leans over to his assist- his assistant and says, oh, I probably went a bit too far there. You think I probably think I'm being grumpy. But there are a few lines that really, really properly resonate here, where he says, oh, I tried to train successors, but I devoured them. And then lines where he actually says, there is nobody to take over after me. And it, that's almost where, if Mami Sinada was making this film, she'd drop in a shot of Gora Miyazaki looking sad, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but in this film, we just have Miyazaki and his thoughts. But you're right. The main bulk of this film is him meeting with these CG animators, an animation director and an animator who come in to Studio Ghibli. And he really is, as he was in the past, in the, in the last film, enlivened by working with younger animators. He's not against this format, is he? That, that is what I found so refreshing about it. Um, and the, the film kind of has this, this bell curve of enthusiasm from him. Um, the, as we, we learn at the start, he, he's out and then he's drawn back in. And then the first time that he encounters the CGI animated Borrow the Caterpillar, he's brilliant. Like you, you're kind of, we're set up for him to be jaded, but he's immediately starting to contribute with the artist and he seems to be excited. And he actually says, I think CGI might work. And you have this, in a 15 20 minute section in the middle of the film where he's going along with it and it's quite odd to watch um but then naturally that that must all crumble and it crumbles in a really interesting way and that's sort of what i mentioned earlier he's approaching the cg process like it is a hand-drawn process and maybe it's because we've seen him at work with animators in the Kingdom of Dreams and Madness where he's making a hand-drawn film where he'd be looking over their shoulder, they'd be flicking back and forth between the frames and he'd grab a pen and say, no, that shoulder should be here. No, that bag should be lifted up this way because people don't carry bags that way. And as soon as they beaver away at all the algorithms and all of the processes that will make a caterpillar move, they press play after all of those man hours and processing hours. And then he'll immediately be like, oh no, that should be going higher or that should be going lower. To the point where you see the 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 animators being quite bemused that he ends up sending them stacks and stacks and stacks of key animation frames. And you can see, just tell that there is a 
he will never be able to adapt to that. They even give him a tablet <laughs> and a stencil. Yeah. And you see Miyazaki trying to animate in that way. And it's not the way he does it, is it? Well, I, th- I imagine the the odd adjustment is that CG animation, a lot of it will be based in AI and trying to create virtual versions of authentic feelings and environments and ultimately that's just not something he's interested in they can make the caterpillar move like a caterpillar but he doesn't want it to move like a caterpillar he wants it to move like a caterpillar he has designed and that's not how it moves in reality and that's why i think there's this insight into his process that maybe could go unnoticed in other documentaries or essays about his work is that it's observation close observation you see him holding up a magnifying glass to an actual caterpillar on a leaf but it's observation filtered through his worldview and i I think that's something that this film almost by accident by happy accidents of just being around at the time but it captures it really well but it is it does show that nuance we should tackle the fact that one thing that's been excerpted from this film, again, it's always a GIF or a meme or a still frame with some subtitles on, but there's a moment where Miyazaki says that CG animation or seems to be saying that CG animation is an insult to life. (laughs) And people have drawn the conclusion from that, that it's grumpy Miyazaki kicking the door down and saying, what are you doing with my caterpillar? (laughs) And, to these CG animators. And, well, as we said, he was enthusiastic about it. He is open to it. But that line comes from a scene that is actually really hard to watch and is one of the most kind of s- stupidly misjudged pitch presentations that have been presented in cinema. I mean, this makes the scene where Don Draper turns up drunk to a pitch look like a perfect execution of business uh it, it's horrible we should con- con- contextualize it a bit further shouldn't we after hearing that he's been working with cgi there's this other company that decide to pitch him on a system an ai system they've been developing that would learn how to be be an artist in its own right and create its own art and they press play on this (laughs) piece of work that this system has created, which is supposed to be a a, a human figure. Some kind of bloody zombie melting creature thing uh, that doesn't seem to know how to control its limbs or which way to send them. And uh, it's all very, very nasty. And they say, oh, this might work well in a horror video game or something. And you can just see Miyazaki's not having any of it. And in that moment, he does say it's an insult to life, but he does go on to express something about the care and attention to detail that goes into all of his design work. He says that anything holding itself in that way must be in pain, must be experiencing great exertion. But this this CG character avatar doesn't have the weight of life there is something profound within that statement that of course has been boiled down into a meme as always there's more to it than what is presented on the internet i suppose yeah well and he's not afraid 
of the morbid and there's an incredibly morbid production meeting about uh, maybe making a feature film after this one, this short is done. Uh, and there's lots of joking around about who might actually be alive out of all the core creative team to finish it. Well, and that, and that is made all the more real by the fact that some of his key collaborators have died during the time that Neverending Man was shot. I'd like to mention uh, Michio Yasuda, colorist who worked with both Miyazaki and Takahata for pretty much their entire careers um, and what's good about watching Neverending Man alongside Kingdom of Dreams and Madness is that you, towards the end of Kingdom of Dreams and Madness you have this beautiful little moment where it's Miyazaki sitting at a desk with an old lady looking at colour frames they don't make much of that moment but it's a great little encapsulation of their collaboration she was technically retired and, and retired in the early 2000s i think but would only come back for miyazaki feature projects and he was saying oh i was only going to embark on this feature project if she could come and help me with the coloring i wanted to call her up and discuss this with her already and now she's gone so the the the, 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 the kingdom as as mami Sonado would call it is already on the decline at the end of Neverending Man, as we're supposed to be on the rising action towards him making a great feature. It's the tone here that I find so fascinating and enthralling. Yeah, and that in those moments, those individual moments, is where this film excels. But I don't think it's really strong in folding those moments into a narrative. In this conversation, in the last few minutes, we have diverted to be talking about this feature uh, that gets spoken about at the end of the film. And the, the film like diverts in that direction, that that is what is going to be next. And it, it just leaves Borrow the Caterpillar and the CGI venture behind and, and doesn't tie that up at all. Um, and, and it starts to get confused about what conversation is about what. Are they talking about this proposed feature? Are they talking about Borrow? What happened to Borrow? <laughs> Did that actually get finished? Uh, and and then the film just ends uh, with, without ever really nailing how those threads come together. And it's a film that's 70 minutes long. I'm happy to come away from, from something like this with several pages of very scrawled notes with lots of underlining and asterisks because there's so much that I took away from this. We haven't mentioned in The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness, even though there were moments of frustration where he couldn't draw the Zero fighter plane anymore. We really do see Miyazaki here having a bit of a crisis. And some of the classic shots you see of Miyazaki at work, where he's there with his apron on, he's sitting at his desk, he's leaning in, it's always framed from the same angle. We'd be seeing a lot of these similar shots, but he'd be anxious, visibly. You'd see his leg working away or his foot twitching, or he'd be wrapping his legs underneath him, sort of in a, you know, uh, folding his legs to out of anxiety to try and get this, to crack the the process that he needs to master in order to make Borrow the Caterpillar. That's something that I've not really seen in many of these documentaries. Also, I know you like this, Jake. He mentions films that are out in the cinemas. Yes. And uh, almost a, a slight sense that his uh, colleagues might think they're cooler than his film. Yeah, well, it's no surprise that he's got a twitchy leg because... All of his staff have gone out to watch Star Wars whilst he's staying in the office. And he says, they'll want to do Star Wars, not a caterpillar. 
oh, as if anyone would leave Miyazaki and his lovely caterpillar to go and work on silly old Star Wars. He also says that um, he hates Frozen <laughs> because of the song Let It Go, where they say, be yourself. And he says, what's more boring than being yourself? <laughs> Now, I don't know if I will stick to that verdict of this quite being a masterpiece. Um, that This is the section of the show where we would normally rank the films that we've been talking about. We did put all of our Ghibli ones into our respective leaderboards and Jacob's ladders. Michael, this might be a tough, tough one for you. But if you were forced to choose between The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness and Never Ending Man, what, what would take the number one spot? It's it's almost harsh, really, to set them, set them against each other. Of course, I'd say The Kingdom of Dreams of Madness all the way. However, I think that if you're this deep into the podcast, you'll probably get so much out of Neverending Man as well. What do you think, Jake? Um, yes, I, I think I'd have to agree. I, I may have been down on this film, but I absolutely got a lot out of it, even if that was using the screenshot function on my laptop a lot. I've seen some of those screenshots make them make their way onto Twitter over the last few weeks, Jake. And if you want to keep up with my screenshots, you can do that <laughs> by keeping up with all of us on Twitter. Uh, the main account is at Ghibliotech. And if you want to send us something to our mailbag, you can do so. We're at ghibli at little.studios.com. If you want to follow us personally, Jake is on Twitter at Jake H. Cunningham. And Michael is at Michael J. Leader. Now, before we sign off for the week, Michael, would you be able to give us a nice link as to what might be in our next episode? Right. Maybe I'll go cryptic for this one. The link to the next episode is Link. Bibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. Our music is made by Anthony Ng, our artwork is by Sophie Moe, and Jamie Maisner is our audio wizard. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Steph Watts, and Harold McShiel. Hi everyone, thank you for sticking with us through the credits. A little bit of trivia this week is another connection between Neverending Man and the Kingdom of Dreams and Madness. We talked about the poor soul who brought Miyazaki, that AI creation, and that guy is Nobuo Kawakami, um, who works for a company called Dwango. If you look closely, he's a familiar face because he pops up in The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness. He's, again, the poor soul who's trying to make a TV series with Goro Miyazaki in that scene where clearly their creative partnership has broken down. I think that is Ronya the Robber's Daughter, where Kawakami is credited as producer on just the first episode. He also, weirdly, executive produced The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness, so he's got fingers in all sorts of Ghibli pies. But he didn't come out very well uh, in Neverending Man, unfortunately. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 